every single cookbook to me is an effort to remember and to pass on or to describe and to teach. I feel a responsibility to teach people how to make the best pie they've ever had. Um, and it's important to me that while I have all these other you know, writing ambitions and ambitions for pie, to fulfill that core promise. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program in PieCast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported in part by Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn. Today, I'm speaking with Kate Lebo, author of the cookbook, Pie School, Lessons in Fruit, Flour, and Butter. Since the first publication of Pie School in 2014, Kate has inspired bakers everywhere with her witty and encouraging lessons on all things flaky and sweet. This completely revised and updated edition includes 20 brand new pies, including two new chapters, one on savory meat or vegetable pies, and one on difficult or lesser known fruit pies. There's updates to the original recipes as well, and that's 80 pie recipes in total. In this conversation, Kate and I dig into pie making as a folk tradition, into ideas of nostalgia and domesticity, as well into the ways that pie making is a lot like writing. Kate Lebo is the author of the essay collection, The Book of Difficult Fruit, which won the Washington State Book Award, and the co-editor with Samuel Ligon of Pie and Whiskey, writers under the influence of butter and booze. She lives and bakes in Spokane, Washington, where she is an apprenticed cheesemaker to Laura Lee Misterly. Kate, thanks so much for being here. Welcome back to The Right Question. Oh, it's great to see you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. I want to start with the fact that the edition of Pie School we're talking about today is a revised and expanded version of the cookbook that was first published in 2014. What made you want to return to a cookbook that you'd already written uh, instead of, say, beginning a new, writing a new cookbook separate from but probably part of the same world as Pie School? What made you want to return to this cookbook? In the last couple of years, I've gotten really obsessed with Carla Emery's The Encyclopedia of Country Living. And that is a book um, that she wrote over decades that just accumulated knowledge each time she did a different um, version of it. And of course, it's a book that started as a bunch of um, different packets that were um, held together by three ring binders. And so she would go chapter by chapter and send them out to her subscribers. And there's this part in the book uh, where she talks about time travel. And she says, you know, this book was written over many, many different years. Um, some pages, I'm going to be a young mom with a baby. Some pages, I'm going to have all these kids and be divorced. Um, and I haven't reconciled that timeline at all. So just expect that you're going to be jerked around in time as you are, are looking for knowledge throughout this book. And I loved that. And I loved the way that she created the opportunity to show what she knew and how, um, how her understanding about what she knew changed over time, which I was excited about in part because when I first wrote high school, I actually didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I had 
gotten a certain reputation around Seattle for baking pies and selling them in my front yard. Um, and they were, you know, great pies. And I made a bunch of friends doing that. Um, and I had had a blog because this was the aughts and it was the decade of the food blog. <laughs> um, and I was teaching myself how to write recipes that way. But by no means was I really an expert. Um, and the, nothing brings that quite um, to one's mind as being um, given the opportunity to to write a book as if you were an expert as at a subject. And of course, I, I got I came to understand what I was doing with the book by writing the book, which is always the case. But I didn't really understand that then. So there was a lot about pie and there's a lot about writing books that now that I've got, you know, 10 years in between when I started this book and, and where it is now, I wish I could have included. So so returning to it now is an opportunity to layer all of that new experience into the book. Um, and a big difference now, I think, is I'm much paying much more attention to where my food comes from and how that affects what I want to make and how it tastes. And I guess I'm, I'm very interested in the way that food creates relationships and breaking that down to the how the ingredients and how one sources ingredients and how the ingredients themselves create relationships. So that's something that wasn't apparent in that first edition of the book. I didn't understand that yet, that I think is much more in this one. And I hope we'll keep deepening. Maybe I'll get to do another one in 10 years. Who knows? So then apart from, or maybe not even apart from, because I'd, I'd Maybe my question is then an elaboration on what you've already said, but I'm wondering how you've changed as a baker since 2014. Is it just, I say that just in scare quotes, but is it just that you are much more mindful about the ingredients that you're baking with, or has your practice changed? Uh, you are a, a mom, which you weren't in 2014, um, and so I'm sure your time is no longer your own, and I'm sure the time that you're able to bake has changed, but I'm curious... Um, how your practice has changed? Yeah, so much. It's a great, that's a great question. So much has changed, as one would hope in 10 years, right? Um, the first thing, the first way that I can name how things have changed is that my practice has gotten narrower but deeper. So I have my classic butter crust in there that I teach with. I also just use that over and over and over and over. So as I was writing this book originally and learning to make pie, I certainly tried many, many, many different types of pie crusts. Um, but I found my favorite. And, and over time, what I came to love about making pie was actually not the, in some ways not the invention of it, but the habit of it. I always talk about making pie on a Tuesday night as this kind of holy grail, like how to demystify this food form so that it's not such a big deal and you can make it on a weeknight. But anyway, like as I was headed towards making pie on a Tuesday night, instead of it being just this celebratory, you know, Friday and Saturday thing, um, I got into some very hard to break habits in that I use the exact same crust. Um, I don't have to use any recipe. Um, I use whatever fruit um, is at hand, what looks most beautiful in the market that week or what is in my freezer. Um, and I'm often trying to avoid going to the grocery store, which is, it's, a, it's this funny balance of, of willingness or a funny balance of effort and that I'm willing to go to the effort to make the pie, but not willing to go to the effort to actually get all the ingredients. <laughs> to make my, my it makes recipes. Sense. 
right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. And the and the restriction of that has been really fun. So I've got and I've learned a lot from it. So say I don't have lemons, I started using fruit vinegars and then making some fruit vinegars um, as a way to acidify sweet um, sweet fillings because sweetness isn't interesting unless it has a little bit of acid. So you always need that that zing. Um, or, you know, really getting wild with fruit combinations, um, again, because I don't want to go to the store and I just want to use what I have in my house. And finding, honestly, almost anything works. This, this pie is such a capacious form. It is a narrow <laughs> form in that it is crust and it is filling, but it is capacious in that you can put just about anything within that crust and it's going to be great. So that's one way things have changed. Um, another is, yeah, my time since Sai was born, and he's three years old now, has totally changed. And my attention to cooking has totally changed. I have become a bad cook. And that's an exaggeration. I'm not actually a bad cook. But but I'm I'm disappointed in what I make in ways that I was never disappointed before. And I make mistakes that I never made before. Um, and it was driving me crazy until I realized the huge difference between, you know, me before Psy and me after Psy is, is my attention. And that what has mattered to great cooking has not just been great ingredients and following the instructions or following my gut. It has been the ability to pay attention. Um, and with that attention scattered, I make mistakes. Um, and I love discovering that. So, you know, and everything's edible still. I have high standards for myself. <laughs> I suppose a cookbook author is not supposed to admit that they're messing up their uh, their home cooking, but there it is, people. I love that you write that the pie is a narrow form, but that uh, you can pretty much do anything with it. And as you were talking about that, I'm like, well, that's exactly what poetry is. That's exactly what writing is. You have these forms that have been created that you learn and you, I don't want to say master, but you work within, you get to know them, you become comfortable within them, and then you break out of them. And I love that idea that the pie is the same kind of thing, the, the same experience. You get to know the form, you're really rigid within the form, and then you break out of it and you can experiment as much as you want. And as you said, it's going to taste great. Yeah, one of the ways we talk about that um, in creative writing classes as, as a received form. So like the sonnet is a received form. Um, and so there's a sense of inheritance, but there's also a sense of, of pressure coming down at you from the ages that you want to <laughs> break out of. And and pie is like that too. Pie is a, is a folk form. It's a traditional food. Um, and it's one that I've learned from books and that I've learned from people um, and that I've learned from making mistakes and that I'm in the practice of passing down. It is a fun reminder that embracing rules and really getting to know the rules well then can become an invitation to invent. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that the pie is a folk form because one of my favorite sections in this cookbook, which not only includes recipes, but there are kind of mini essays and explanations, beautiful photography, obviously. But one of my favorite sections in this book is a section called What is a Pie Lady? Kate, you 
are a self-proclaimed pie lady. People call you a pie lady. But in this section, a folklorist uh, out of West Virginia, Emily Hilliard, talks about pie as a folk tradition. And to our listeners, I encourage you all to buy this new, updated, revised edition of Pie School to read this piece at length. But Kate, I'd love to talk about the many different parts of this sort of conversation essay about what it means to be operating it within those traditions and what that means for you as someone who is operating within those traditions. What's your responsibility? Uh, what that responsibility feels like um, when you lean into that tradition and when you, as we've been yeah. talking about, break out of it? You know, it's I don't know if I've thought about it as a responsibility before. I think because I've wanted so badly to participate within a longer, larger culinary tradition. So I'm not thinking about responsibilities. I'm thinking more about belonging and about the um, wanting to be part of this larger and longer tradition of, of people that goes back for a very long time. But if I'm thinking about responsibility with a folk tradition and how pie is a folk tradition, Maybe the way that I would think about it connects to how I think about writing about food in general, which is all writing about food, you know, regardless of how great or how shallow it is or how it, how it reaffirms cliches or how it breaks them, is I think trying to remember traditions and trying to pass them down and pass them over to other people, keep things alive, invent new things. Um, there was that great article in the New York Times a couple months ago about, I think it was a Montana writer who's a super famous like TikTok food personality. He was such a doll. He was talking about how he felt like he had stolen a cookbook writer's, a real cookbook writer's job because his, as he's just a TikTok personality, he's not a you know professional cookbook writer or whatever, and he's got this best-selling cookbook that's based on his TikTok platform. And I could see where cookbook writers, that would drive them crazy that this person, you know, has got such a platform and is such a, has had such a powerful book. But I was, I mean, I feel excited by all the different ways that new technologies and new ways of talking about food help us remember all the ways that we have cooked. So this person was, you know, going into community cookbooks and had, you know, updated them um, in terms of, you know, language and how they're being presented so that people were excited about these old recipes. So anyways, what I'm, that's a long way of saying I, I, every single cookbook to me is an effort to remember and to pass on or to describe and to teach. Um, and so I feel that responsibility. I mean, I felt that response. I guess I did feel that responsibility when I was writing pie school in that I feel a responsibility to teach people how to make the best pie they've ever had. Um, and it's important to me that while I have all these other, you know, writing ambitions and ambitions for pie to fulfill that core promise, because I know how powerful it can feel in a daily way to just be able to make this delicious thing with your hands. I know, you know, from my own life, the way that it has connected me to the land, to my neighbors, to my loved ones, the way it's helped me make new friends, um, the way it's led to this conversation. You know, pie has just been this incredible vehicle for, for creating relationships. And so um, I feel delight and responsibility in, in helping other people use it the same way and in their own ways. 
as much as it seems kind of anachronistic, it's because of TikTok and these new technologies that a lot of things are being renewed and able to be passed on. Things that would have been lost, again, to those new technologies are being renewed. And, you know, again, it seems anachronistic to say TikTok and folk art in the same sentence. But I think it's just another vessel or another vehicle in which those arts can be passed on. So it makes sense to me as much as it's kind of cringy. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I had a recent conversation with Emily Hilliard, who I interviewed for the What is a Pie Lady essay. And she talked about that, too. And she talks about that in her book, Making Our Future, um, the ways that modern technology just represents like a, a new way of passing these traditions and this information and, and these practices around and making relationships. And of course, there's a bunch of other consequences to the new technology. But I think um, I think something that's important to recognize about folk traditions is the way they don't belong to any individual. They arise from a community. Um, and I think that I've been I've been feeling some tension between thinking about pie as a folk tradition and myself as an individual author who has authored this book about how to do it. Not tension in that they are at odds, just that I'm a I am aware as I write this book and put my name on it and have kind of a certain authority or ownership over a method that my methods and practices are built of a bunch of other people's. I've been heavily influenced. I um, mean, it's all over this book. Like Kate McDermott, who wrote Art of the Pie, was a huge influence. Cook's Illustrated was a huge influence. Joy of Cooking was a huge influence. My mom was a huge influence, you know? So, so it's funny. I mean, as a writer, you put your name on the book and say, this is mine, um, and then go out and try to sell your book and and teach your way of doing it. But I'm aware of, and I try to talk about as much as possible, how any book about pie, though it may have a singular vision and a, and a sensibility of the person who's writing it, is drawing on the the wealth of the community, of community knowledge about this food. You're listening to a conversation with Kate Lebo, author of the cookbook, Pie School, Lessons in Fruit, Flour, and Butter. I'm Lauren Korn. This episode of The Right Question is supported by Montana Book Company, located in downtown Helena since 1978, offering new books for all ages, vinyl records, and community activism. Delivery in Helena and shipping online at mtbookco.com. Folk art, but let's talk pies. They are this really somatic conversation with history. They are your body in relationship to a really deep historical tradition, which is really exciting. Um, and it and it kind of confuses time in a really beautiful way. And I love thinking about time in that way. Um, and in this essay, in this. Uh, what is a pie lady essay or conversation, you write that a pie lady, quote unquote, is a conduit for appetite and nostalgia. Um, so I'm going to pivot just a little, but I feel like nostalgia is still in this sort of conversation of time. I'm wondering, Kate, what nostalgia tastes like for you? As we barrel towards Christmas, um, I'm wondering what pies or baked things you'll be baking to capture that feeling because I feel like it's a very specific feeling, that nostalgia of baking. Mm. I love what you just said about confusing time. That's a great way 
to describe that sense that I was having when I was reading the Encyclopedia of Country Living or the excitement. And I think it's a great way to describe the the very complex feeling of of nostalgia of the of the present being brought into the past and the past being brought into the present. I guess it confuses time also in the way that it it challenges our experience of it as being linear. And when I think about how what that has to do with eating something and baking something, there's been times when I have brought jam or preserves, or I have brought cheese, or I have brought pie. Um, and I've described where it has come from or the process of making it. And I know that by describing that, I can feel the way that it's creating a feeling in people that I actually can't describe. Like, I haven't described that in my book. I can't really describe it now. But it's the it's it's a feeling that we are trying to create and trying to receive with with food often. And nostalgia is tricky because it also it also can have a really negative connotation in that it can um, be a way that we escape our fears of how our lives are moving too fast and are changing too fast. Will we be left behind? Do we still belong? Do we have the resources that we need? Will we be loved? Will the person that we want to have in power have power? Will we have power? All of that. Um, and we can lean on nostalgia too heavily, I think, um, as a way to blind ourselves to our present fears. Um, and I'm aware of how pie has been used as a symbol of Americana and how, I mean, I love Americana, um, but I, I am also self-conscious of that love and the way that it is used to kind of reinforce old bad habits in our society. So we're talking about nostalgia. We're talking about changing symbols of Americana. And so maybe another question or another way at this question of nostalgia um, is your relationship to domesticity and your understanding of domesticity as it relates to pies and your role as someone who teaches in kitchens and as a woman and a mother. I'm wondering how you consider domesticity in that way. No, Absolutely. That is such a, it's a huge question. I've got a fraught relationship with it in that it's incredibly important to me. I think about the domestic arts um, and and value them. But I also don't want to be trapped by them. You know, I don't want, um, I want my enjoyment of the kitchen and of the home to be a choice rather than something that I'm compelled to do um, through cultural habit. Um, or through, you know, family and societal expectations. Um, and it's funny, as I'm saying that, I'm, there's a moment, I'm, I'm having a, a little moment where I'm like, well, now that I have a kid, actually, there's a ton that I need to, do, that I have to do domestically that I might not necessarily want to do as part of caring for him. So there's this kind of larger choice and larger joy in that, even as now my relationship to cooking is one that's much more compelled than it used to be. Um, but... One of the ways that I've figured out how to be more at ease with the ambivalence that I feel about um, kind of being a domestic person is to think about the ways I can and other people continue to open those spaces to everyone. Um, I think the more that I am able and that other people are able and that we are able to invite ourselves into that space um, so that it isn't bound by gender um, and isn't bound by class and isn't bound by anything. Just if you want to cook, go in and cook. Um, That 
gives me as an individual um, a more peaceful relationship with my my love of that place. Um, and I and I I guess what maybe what I haven't said clearly is that um, I. I love being in the kitchen and I love making things in the kitchen. It's how that love is perceived and how that those those things that I make are interacted with um, generally by people I don't necessarily even know that well. That's where I come I start to feel the ways that things will be expected of me that I have not signed up for. I, I'm gonna return to the question of nostalgia because I asked you a question what nostalgia tastes like for you, especially as we head into the holidays, what you plan to bake to um, find, I'm going to, I'm just going to say comfort in, in your food. And I, I want to give listeners a sense of what's in the book and what they should maybe try as, as again, we head straight into the holidays. So let's talk about a couple of the pies in oh, here. Yeah, that's a great idea. So before I moved to Spokane and before I married my husband and was having you know, all my Christmases, with him, my family was really into the apple pear cranberry pie and the whiskey maple pecan pie. I, now these years, I love making the Rose family pie. That's a pie with quince and apple and pear. I've never used quince in a pie before. I'm excited to try it. It's delicious, but also it's strong. So I came to this Rose family pie recipe using only two quince after trying to do, you know, a full quince pie. And that flavor is so, so strong. It's actually kind of overwhelming. Um, let's see, what else do we tend to make? Oh, the new, in this new book, I've got the a winter luxury pumpkin pie. And winter luxury is a delicious kind of heirloom pumpkin. Um, but the secret is you can use any kind of delicious heirloom pumpkin or squash in a pie. And, and processing it yourself makes just elevates the flavor in a way that uh, canned pumpkin can't reach. You also added uh, veggie and meat pies to this oh, new that's edition. Right. So so the the chapter that you're talking about is pie for dinner. And in that chapter, there's there's two kinds of pies. One is a um, they're vegetable forward with meat is how I'm thinking about them. So you can cut the meat if you want to and they'll still be absolutely delicious and very filling. Um, Got a chanterelle, goat cheese, delicata, and tomato pie that are delicious. And I designed all of these recipes during um, the fall and the late fall. So they're all actually perfect for right now. Um, there's also a recipe in here that's new for me. I'm calling it a recipe cycle. And it's for the chicken pot pie. So chicken pot pie is a pretty familiar recipe, pretty familiar food, right? So the way that I decided to write about it is I wanted to use it as a way to figure out how to, how to write a recipe that is um, not the kind of recipe that you just start on one day and finish on the same day, but a recipe that you start a week before that makes three or four different dinners and then ends with chicken pot pie. And that I'm not just going to the grocery store with a recipe and then fulfilling the recipe and being done. I'm, you know, making stock on a Sunday and I'm roasting a chicken on a Tuesday and then I'm taking the leftovers and turning them into a chicken pot pie on a Friday. My last question on the mic anyway, is... <laughs> Last one. Why shouldn't I put ice cream on top of my fruit pies? 
I make everybody swear at the end of high school not to do this. Um, so you've just spent all this time and this care on making a super flaky crust. And then you sog it up by putting your ice cream right <laughs> on top. No, I used to be against serving pie with ice cream, but I've, I've changed my ways over time. Sam, my husband, has applied gentle but steady pressure over the years, um, often by saying, hey, once it's on my plate, it's my slice of pie. You can't tell me what to do with it. And then I see him with the ice cream and get kind of jealous. So now I'm into ice cream and pie, but it should be on the side. Also, the idea is also like, I mean, you can use ice cream to cover up a whole host of sins with your pie, but you will have made the kind of pie that doesn't need to hide. That was Kate Lebo, author of Pie School, Lessons in Fruit, Flour, and Butter. The newly revised and expanded edition is out now from Sasquatch Books. Look for more information about Kate at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You've been listening to The Right Question. This episode was produced by Chris Moyles and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. Aiden McMahon engineered this episode. The artwork for The Right Question was designed by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridas. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008. And thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.